we were accepted into the Tokyo Metropolitan Police or Keisho and we trained with them. We were very honored to be able to practice with them and it was a very great experience. So that is the moment where I saw that the way you train is more important how much you train. We were building more the team spirit and the energy of a team than we were building ourselves together. So we went to a lot of competitions that year, which gave a result because we were a good team in Korea. We believed in one another and were able to push each other and we were able to follow each other with another's actions. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Tokushikai Inside Look podcast. Today we're speaking with Andrei Milosevic from Belgrade, Serbia. Andre has been training for over 13 years, during which time he's been in the Serbian national team since 2014, is the reigning national champion in Serbia two years running, and has podium finishes in multiple European championships, culminating with a surprise quarterfinals finish at the 2018 World Candle Championships in Korea. Andre holds the rank of Yondan and is currently leader of the Makoto Kendo Club, where he's applying knowledge from a degree in professional experience in physical training to kendo practice and has helped lead the club to the most trophied in foreign and domestic competition. Andre is an inspiring individual with an incredible balance of attitude toward the traditional and the new and is both humble and confident and has such a deep and introspective perspective on improving one's physical, mental and spiritual abilities. I'm looking forward to picking his brain again in the future and hope you take as much from this initial conversation as I did. So without further ado, here's Andrei Milosevic. My name is Andrei Milosevic. I live in Belgrade, Serbia, and I've lived here for all my life. The reason I started doing martial arts at the very start was, I was, it's a classical story. I was a little chubby kid who was bullied around in school and always dreamt of this like kind of activity that would give me the confidence and the will to, to stand up for myself. I trained a lot of things. I trained karate, I tried, trained kickbox, I, the capoeira, the, all the other things. I mean, it wasn't in that period. I practiced it even uh, aside from practicing kendo. But at one point, I actually trained tennis for seven years because my parents really wanted me to be in some kind of sport, which was individual, but yet it had popularity. But it wasn't working out too well <laughs> due to the coach and the club where I was going to. It wasn't very ambitious for its uh, it, for the people who practiced there. So at one point, I moved in 2006 from one apartment to another. So I moved from one region, which was not so filled with kids, to the center of the city, which was next to where I met a lot of friends. And there I met a guy who, actually a friend, who lived in the same street as me. And he went to the same school as me, and he was practicing kendo. So he was explaining to me about this martial art a few times, and I uh, was very excited about it regarding the fact that I always, you know, watch Star Wars, Samurai Jack, or Samurai movies. I loved and In every picture when I was a kid, there was a stick in my hand, either beating a tree or <laughs> beating with my cousins and friends. So basically, it was natural for me. And when I asked him about it, oh, where can I start and how can I start, etc., he said, just, oh, just come with me next time I'm going to the training session and we'll see how it goes. And it was November 17th, I remember the date, <laughs> and uh, my first training. And from then on, it went on very fast right now when I look back at it. Now I am the leader of that same club. So I took over in 2014 when I started studying sports and sports science. There was a huge change in the club. A lot of the guys who were older and had a higher ranks than me, they left the club due to personal, not problems, but life. So one guy went to Sweden, one guy moved to another city. 
uh, other guy stopped because of health issues. A lot ended up to fall on me, on my back, but I wasn't afraid of it because I already had some kind of experience within how to lead practices because I was often offered the chance to lead the practice within the dojo when they were present, of course. And it just continued on normally. Of course, I had help from my teacher who was always there, who was always there to help, to help with either the beginners or the people in Mogu in order for me not to be alone. And along the way, I started learning and I progressed in my university, learning different methods, approaches, and et cetera, et cetera. So I fit into this role perfectly. And as I said, now I'm currently the leader of uh, my dojo, Makoto Kendo Club, which is... Well, now I can't say that it's the biggest club because we lost a lot of members due to the COVID situation, but I don't know how the other clubs are doing. So I don't want to say like we're the biggest, but maybe we are, maybe we aren't. It all depends on the statistics and there are no statistics right now <laughs> because everything stopped. But now we continued practices a few months ago. No, not a few months ago. We had a, again to stop when we had like a second wave here, but now it's going on well. As for my personal life, as I stated, I studied sports science. I work as a fitness instructor in a gym. I work with a lot of people. I work with all ages. Before this job, I was, it's called, here we call it an animator, but it's not an animator. I don't draw things. I make activities and, and parties and small sports happenings for children. And I worked in an agency, then I worked in a private school, and then I realized that that wasn't for me, too much stress, too much time consuming. And I moved to Italy for about two months, started holding trainings in a specific gym that was yet to open. I was invited by a dear friend, uh, Italian kendo player, Christian Filippi, you probably heard of him. And I stayed there with him for, in total, you know, I think it was three or four months, but it was divided into, uh, I went there a few times. And when I returned in December, I thought to myself, like, I'm not going back to, to uh, working with kids, not because I don't like it, it's just because it was too hard. And I want to start working in a gym. And I've been there since December. Everything's going well. And I'm working on myself as a coach inside the gym, physically and educationally, because I'm surrounded by really good experts in this field. And I'm really trying to incorporate this knowledge that I'm picking up inside the gym to Kendo because my final goal is to bring up a dojo in which there will be a gym, there will be like a functional area and that people will be able to incorporate both. So if someone practices Kendo, they need to realize that Kendo has a physical aspect to it. So we can't only work on the mental side, we need to also work on our physical side when we are younger, of course. And as we get older, the physical side starts to become less important and the mental side becomes more and more present. There's so much. I do want to get into all of that later stuff. The, your expertise in sports science is something that's lacking in a lot of these traditional martial arts, and I think there's a lot of help with that. I recently had an interview with someone where I was mentioning that as I was getting older, I can feel a lot of issues, like using the wrong muscles, or I'm not connected in the right way, so I can get injuries, and that will just reduce the amount of time I have left in my life to do practice, which is what we want to extend. So I really want to focus on that. But I want to get into your life starting from the beginning of when you discovered kendo so you said you had a friend that was doing it already when you decided to go did you do some research about what it was or did you just say i'm going to follow you along you and see 
it was pretty much I'm just gonna go go with the flow because I already had experienced other martial arts, as in karate, taekwondo, and uh, kickbox, and I went in there without any research. I just went like, okay, I, I I think I would like this. I know something about it, but about kendo, I didn't know anything. I even thought that I didn't even know what to expect because I only saw the shinai and that he showed me, and I was like, okay, cool. This looks like a lightsaber. It's swords fighting. You're hitting people with you're hitting each other with sticks, and you're waving it around. I want to try it, so I just went there and I think the biggest reason why I was so captured by it and why I was driven to stay and continue was uh, sensei my my sensei Branko Borota who looks like if you watch Dragon Ball he looks like the Goku's teacher I can't remember the Master Roshi Master Oshi. He looks exactly like Master Oshi. He's bald, he has a huge beard, <laughs> and he's hell strong. Trust me, very, very strong. His forearm is double the size of mine, and I don't have small forearms. So his approach to kendo is the closest that you can get to a Japanese sensei here in Serbia. Because if we want to talk about Budo and the senseis that teach Budo in Serbia, he is the only one who is true because he really follows the way. He doesn't keep grudges. He doesn't mean anything bad. His only reason to teach and to show is for you to improve. And he has shown throughout the years that the time when he is most happy is when he sees his students improve. And to me, that is the, the pinnacle of being a teacher. When you find pleasure and happiness in what you've created and it becomes bigger and better than you. So as I said, the reason why I stayed there and why I was so completely this, sorry, impressed by, by Kendo was because of him, because of his stories, because of his way, the manner that they showed the exercises, the, the way that he presented himself. He was the kind of unreachable goal and still in a way is. First of all, talking physically and then talking spiritually, mentally. And uh, if you, in, in Kendo, his seme is something that I personally think is very, very hard to reach. Even uh, great fighters or teachers or senseis don't have that. And that is something that is natural, which uh, I think is not only made in Kendo, but throughout your life. It's your life experiences and how you filter those things through your, your practice is what creates this kind of specific seven that only a few people have. So because of him, I think it was the reason why I stayed and uh, kept on going. Wow. Yeah, that, that's amazing to have a sensei like that. A, a good way of being able to see that a person's like this is just the way that he behaves in the dojo and the way that his students behave in the dojo. Could you maybe talk about what your initial view when you first went there? What was it about how the students were behaving, how the senseis were behaving that gave you a sense, I want to be here? And then over time... Well, first of all, my first impression of him was, wow, this guy's very scary. <laughs> he was very, very scary. As I said, he looks like a cartoon character, but he's not that funny when you see him. But when you meet him, you understand that he is a very gentle soul and a very compassionate person who is open to joking. To But also, he is very serious when you work. He will yell at you, scream at you, hit you, not hit you as in beat you, but hit you when you're, when you're in practice and push you further. But at the moment when you feel that you are going to break because of this tension that he's creating, then he comes close to your face and he just does. And you understand that he's joking, that he's like trying to inspire you to continue on going. Sometimes this, he had one problem and that was the way he led the practices. It wasn't the best way because he didn't have a method to divide groups. 
So he would put everyone in the same category. And he would always think that if he can do it, that you can do it. And he always went from, from this kind of perspective, which isn't bad because he always said like, I had so many operations. I had a car accident. I had this. If I'm able to do it, then you're able to do it. Trust me, you're young. You're this, you're this. But not everybody is made from the same stuff. <laughs> I probably made from the same stuff as he is because I endured everything and I never said a word about it. And I think it's a great way to motivate a person if the person is right for it. And that was one of the reasons why he, at some point, put me in charge of leading the practices. He always stayed on the side, helping with the small details, you know, giving advices. But it was mostly because he wasn't able to create a well-structured methodology to work from the beginning till the end with everyone. Of course, you, you have individuals who catch on, like myself. But when you talk about the club, your club is not uh, thriving on individuals. It's thriving on everyone as a collective, as a family. And he was able to do this, that to create a atmosphere that when you come to the club, you feel like you've come to your house, to your family. So that was one of the good good sides. But the bad side was that he wasn't able to divide people into groups and to create like certain levels. So for example, you're 50, I'm 20, and you and me both cannot do the same thing. If I can do 20 sit-ups and 50 push-ups and whatever, you can maybe do more because you've been in sports all your life, or you can do way less because you've never been in sports. So in a way, it's not my, as a teacher or a, or a trainer or whatever, to push you to do something that I think that you should be able to do, but I should follow your metabolism, your anatomy, your physiology and say, okay, so you're right now here and I want you to bring you, I want to bring you here. So how do I bring you from this point to this point? And this is the methodology that you, we have to have, not in just Kendo, but everywhere, like learning something about programming or learning how to do a deadlift. It's the same. You have to have like this kind of way that you start from zero or the place where you are at the current moment. And you go step by step to reach what you want to do. Usually when you skip things or when you force yourself to do things, it doesn't end up good. You either end up missing something or in the sports you get injured. And this is why the physical aspect, for example, is very, very important. And this brings us back to why he actually had so much trust into to bestow the role of the leader in the club upon me. So I was very, of course, grateful. I can say that I wasn't afraid. I was very afraid because it's a very huge responsibility, but it, it grows on you, it, the, the responsibility. You get used to it and you start to enjoy it at some point, but then you start to get very, <laughs> you get start very angry when you see other people are not willing to contribute and to focus as much as you are, but that's another story. So taking on leadership responsibilities like that usually requires some experience in other areas and some learning on the individual part before you feel like you're confident enough and you have the motivation to do something like that. Uh, you had mentioned this thing where you were still kind of figuring out what you wanted to do for your work. You also moved to Italy. Could you talk about the circumstances around that and then how that kind of led you back to understanding what is it that you want to be doing with, I guess, your life and with your life in Kendo as well? Yeah. The thing about Italy was it was in the moment. It was a decision that was made in a very, let's say, short period. So every year in Belgrade, we organize a huge competition. It's called, right now it's called Makoto Kendo Trophy. Before it was called Belgrade Kendo Trophy, but we divided two trophies due to some inner politics within the federation, doesn't matter. So one year when we were organizing the trophy, of course, we have a very strong relationship with the Italian Kendo players or the Italian Kendo Federation. 
And uh, Christian was present. And I talked about how I was finishing university and how I want to start to work, et cetera, et cetera. And he suggested to me, like, would you like to come maybe to Italy, to my town? I opened my fitness center and I'm starting to work on it. And I would really like to have you to try and work there. I can't promise any like good money, but I can promise experience, good time. And I can do kendo with you if you would like. For me, this was a great opportunity to go outside, to try myself out in, out in the outside world, how we would say it, in another country. And to see if I'm able to create a good relationship outside. So create like a base somewhere else. Of course, when I went there, I was completely impressed and I was wowed with what possibilities lie outside. Because here, the problem in our country is it's very hard to succeed in a normal way without going in, into criminal acts or asking someone to borrow your huge money or something because the political situation here is very bad. And every bureaucracy, everything you need to do, paperwork, you need to pay extra, you need to do extra, you need to do more, more, more. And it's very tiring here. And you need to be very, very qualified. And you need to have very good traits and be very specific in order to succeed. Of course, that was the reason why I came back because that's a challenge. And I'm the guy who likes to challenge myself to do these things. But this was an opportunity for me to go outside to see not only Kendo from a different perspective, but my line of work from a different perspective. And I stayed the first time for, I think, two or three weeks. Uh, didn't really do so much work there but train more because it was like the end of the season and he only gave me a few people to work with. But the few people I worked with, he was very happy and I helped him a lot around the gym. I gave him a few advices about how to run things because I had experience from some gyms before that I went to and worked there for a short period. And uh, what was specific about it was the whole atmosphere there for me was phenomenal. So I saw that outside the country, there is a drive from other people when they see that, you're, that you have quality and that you have knowledge to learn from you, to ask you, to help you, to give you a hand without you asking. And for me, this was a first because here, usually when you, the people see that you're good, they want to trip you over and say that you're bad. So I was tempted to go there again, and he suggested to me that the next time I come, I stayed longer, so I, I did. The next time I went, I, it was in October 2019, and I stayed up until December, the end of December, or middle of December, I can't really remember. And he opened the new whole fitness center. So he had a gym before, and then he invested in a fitness center, and he needed someone to be there and work with all the people while he was doing, you know, either construction work or paperwork or just running around the city, bringing in equipment, etc. During these two months, I had like a real now steady job in Italy. I was getting up early, you know, preparing breakfast for myself, making programs, making, you know, uh, set lists for music that I would play that day so that people would be you know, motivated, etc., etc. I would get there, do a four-hour shift. I had a break. Then again, another four-hour shift. And it was very interesting for me. Like I felt that something was changing and it did change me. The whole experience there changed me. And at the end of all of that, each day or each second day, we had kendo practice, which for me was one of the best things that could have happened to me because in a long while, I had someone to teach me, not to teach me, but to lead my practice because I haven't been in a long time for a continuous amount of trainings that someone is saying, okay, do this and do that. Oh no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Because I know Joe, I'm the guy who's leading practice. And the only one who corrects me or who says to me, okay, do it differently is myself. I look at the mirror. I try to fix myself, my posture, because my sensei, he doesn't tell me these things anymore because he feels that I've surpassed him. 
<laughs> in a way, which I don't agree. <laughs> of course, he gives me advice is what I ask him, but he doesn't, let's say that in his eyes, he taught me everything that he can, which I disagree, but he thinks that Unfortunately, he is a very good person and he is very modest. And I think he feels that if he tells me something to do differently, I might get offended, which is not the case. So sometimes I need to draw, draw out things from him. So now in Italy, I had someone who is younger, who is in a different way experienced. So Christian has a lot of experience from World European Championships for many, many seminars. And he was helping me in trying to find my new way, my new uh, course for, for Kendo, for myself. And he showed me a lot of new things, a lot of new exercises, a lot of new ways how to get there. And from that point, I started to understand some of the things that my sensei was explaining to me. So it was the same thing that my sensei was telling me, but I just needed someone to give me a different format. And it helped me a lot, which was shown at the moment I returned from Italy. And the first time there was a national championship, I won. I, I was the national champion. And then the next time when I went there again, again, I was the national champion. And each time I saw that my level of kendo had grown by twice or three times because I changed things. And it wasn't only in physical. It actually, it wasn't in physical at all. My physical abilities were a bit less because I wasn't training on myself so much inside the gym, but I was training more within kendo. And uh, even though the trainings weren't uh, hard, they weren't high intensity trainings, like if you were to go to some kind of camp or whatever, they were very simple. I would sweat, but it wasn't too hard for me compared to what I was used to. But it gave me insight on things that I was struggling about, how to move, uh, how to uh, approach a certain opponent my biggest problem at that point was uh, hikiwaza. I had a problem with him. I couldn't, I, I could do him, but out of 10 uh, tries, I would get one. Could you explain what that is for people that don't know kendo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hikiwaza is a technique that you do when you are close to your opponent. So when you do a strike, you uh, get into a clinch like boxers and you keep your hands, your fists on one another's. And from this point, you can do two things. One is to just move back to your uh, beginning or the standard mai, tomai. Or you could do an attack, which you can hit the head, the arm, or the body, or the torso, or menkote, or do. And this is called the hikiwaza. And it's very specific because when you hit it, you need to like blast yourself in reverse, away from your opponent to get away. And in this action, you need to strike correctly with the correct part of the sword or shinai. You need to have fumikomi or the stump on the, on the floor with your foot. And as I said, you need to catapult yourself away from your opponent. So I had a very, I had difficulty with executing this because my dojo is very small and we almost never did it before. And my sensei was always very, he had different opinions about the hikiwaza. In his opinion, he thought the hikiwaza was a pure manifestation of Kendo becoming a sport. And he didn't really like it because it was cheap. In his mind, it was a cheap move. Like you're going back and bam, you hit someone. In his way, he would always go back and then always confront frontally. So nothing going back. But of course, that's one way of thinking about it. Because when you look at it, when you have exams and when you have like ratings, you don't see hikivaza. You only see like frontal attacks. You see like shikakivaza or the attacks like men, kote or do. And you see ojivaza like. Debara kote, debara men, or kaishido, you rarely see someone doing hikiwaza. Or when you look at the hachidan or the eidan competitions, you don't see so much. Maybe a few, but that's usually when somebody breaks concentration so much that he's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta use this. Bam. 
So I had a problem with Hiki Vaza because of the space, first of all, and of course the mental approach to it, which was a very, a big drawback for me, for my competitions. Looking at it from a side where I'm going more and more and more to foreign competitions and I'm starting to clash with stronger and stronger opponents who have a very huge diversity of attacks. So not only one or two, but they have like, they're dangerous both in the Hikivaza and they're dangerous in Ojivaza or Shikakivaza or whatever. So I needed to bring more to my arsenal. And he provided me with this. So for me, this was one of the, let's say, biggest changes in my recent kendo years where I started to do hiki. I started to approach it differently. I started to understand how to do it, which then enabled me to teach it, to show it to others in my club. And now there is more and more people who are being good or even better than me at it because they find it as their own. Because each technique, we, we can find something that suits us most and we use it the most. And we call it like this technique that we use that we can win. Everybody has it. Like Japanese players have it. Korean players have it. American, everyone. Could you talk about how you prepare for these tournaments, the national championship and then the world championship? Well, basically, our preparation system was always created by a federation. So we would have either three or two or four, depending on how people were able or the money situation was at the current time. We would rent certain gyms and we would practice together, having different goals for each training. But the point was to have continuity. And at some point from the period of 2014 till 2000, let's say 17, we had very, very high intensity trainings because we were preparing physically because the coach of the national team at that period was an ex-soldier. So the only way he knew how to do these things was to break you physically in order to become stronger mentally, which gave results. Yes, gave results as in we were able to always win the Balkan trophies and we were always able to get to the top five within the European championships, but there was never a medal. So there was something wrong with this method. Individually, people were being stronger, weaker. They had different paths, of course. But in the end, when I was at the end of my university, I had this specific subject, which was called preparation for sports. It's called preparation conditioning, but conditioning is not the same word in English as we use it. So basically, this subject was about how to prepare your time for some competition. So you have these different periods. You have the pre-competition period, you have the during competition period, and the after competition period. And this all creates a circle. One cannot exist without the other, of course. So within these three like points, I started to create my own schedule and training. It consisted out of three parts within each category. So in the first, the pre-competition, it was divided into the standard preparation. It was uh, standard specific preparation and then specific preparation. So what are these three? The standard preparation is your regular going to the gym and just bulking up, doing bigger weights, bigger exercises, more repetitions, uh, core exercises, mobility exercise, etc. Then you have the basic specific which you start to change and you start to mold your exercises that are kind of look like or are now pointed towards the sport or the activity that you are doing. So if you're practicing kendo, you will start to focus more on the explosiveness of the legs, the plyometry of the legs. You will start to more work on your rear, uh, rear del delt shoulder muscle and your forearm shoulder and your triceps. So you're still working in the gym, but you are now working for a specific, for a specific sport, for a specific reason. 
And then at the end, you get specific one, which you only do exercises which are low intensity, a uh, low, sorry, uh, low weight with high intensity, starting to create your own, let's say, strength, your own personal, like functional strength that you have. And you're molding it for the specific sport completely. So you're now doing more moving, you're doing more suburi, you're doing more different positions of your body, trying to figure out how to best use what you've created. So if I were to explain it visually, you imagine that you have a pile of mud and the first part is you're gathering the mud. The second part is you're baking it. And the third part is that you're creating it into some kind of shape. And then you use that shape to incorporate it into the next stage, which is the competition part. It's again divided into three parts. You have the preparation, the sheer competition, and the finally after the competition, if you have competitions again. So within these three, you always have, you finish one competition and then you're going to another. So the point, the third part is what you're doing in the middle. So this part, you start to complete, you start to neglect the gym. You're doing, you're doing maybe once just to keep up your, your shape or something. And you're doing more of specific trainings for the sport or the, or kendo, the martial art. So you're doing more kakai geiko, more roikomi, more uchikomi, more, you're practicing more of your basic techniques. Then you start to practice your, the second part is before the competition, you start to practice on your tactic and your technique. So you are practicing your specific technique, as I said, the special technique that you have. So for example, if your special is debarakote or just kote, like for example, if you have the, the Japanese player Nishimura, his specific one is kote. And he would practice it, he would work on it to make it perfect in order for when it comes to the point where there is fighting in the competition, when he uses it, chances that he will score on it are huge. So this is what you work on before the competition. And then you start to bring your foot back from the pedal. So you're not pushing anymore because your body needs time to regenerate. Your body needs time to rest. Then you, of course, change your food, et cetera, et cetera. You try to put in more carbs inside your body so that you have more energy, so that you feel more, feel happier. You feel more secure about yourself. You have more confidence, et cetera, et cetera. This is all very intertwined. So in the end, before the competition, this is called a resting period. And you have the active rested resting period where you're training, but you're not pushing yourself. You're just breaking a sweat just to keep your muscles moving. You're doing a lot of stretches. You're doing specific stretching for what you want to do. So legs, of course, arms, your body. So then you have the competition where you're just giving it what you have. And at this point, you should be at the top of your, your performance. And this whole process is called the process of supercompensation, is where you're bringing up your level of intensity training in order to tire your body. And then you're lowering the intensity, allowing your body to recover and to uh, incorporate what you've done. So imagine that you're eating food. You can't eat food all the time, and then a lot of it, because you'll get sick and then you, you'll throw up or you'll start to get fat. But if you eat food at certain time and give it time to digest, and you eat quality food, it becomes muscle, and then you eat again, et cetera, et cetera. So you need time to digest. It's exactly like this in sports. You need time to allow your body to incorporate what you did to it. If you continue to push it, then you get injured, then you get problems, and then you go back. You don't go forward. And that's the biggest, let's say, right now difference between me and the rest of the guys who are training. And that is the reason why I am able to win competitions right now in the past two years consistently is because my methodology of training is different. I don't force myself in certain trainings and I don't say any training is better than no training. That is wrong. It's better no training than any training. If you train the wrong, it's much worse than if you didn't train. 
because you can get hurt and you can create consequences for yourself that you will feel later on in your years or in your match. Yeah, I, I love this because it's really showing that the people that really succeed aren't necessarily the ones that are most talented or the ones that practice the most, but the ones that have a system for getting them into the right, to, to match the timing of when they're the most likely to succeed to when the competition is. And it seems like you've thought a lot about how you prepare I'm yourself. Yeah, I've given a lot of thought about it because it's my job primarily. And second of all, I want to show people primarily in Serbia that if you do it correctly, you can show results, which has been shown at the past two competitions in Korea and in Belgrade at the Worlds and European Championships because the trainings were not... We, for example, for Korea, we didn't train together at all. Everybody trained on their own. We had maybe five practices together, which were high intensity. But the rest of the time we spent together was on competitions. We were building more the team spirit and the energy of a team than we were building ourselves together. So we went to a lot of competitions that year, which gave a result because we were a good team in, in Korea. We believed in one another and were able to push each other and we were able to follow each other with another's actions. Can you talk about that Korean experience, like going there for the world championship, just the whole yeah. vibe? Yeah. And... yeah, for example, so if I want to talk about Korea, I have to talk about Japan as well. Because in 2015, when the world championship in Japan was, this was like a really big deal. And we were practicing very hard. And aside from this whole experience of going to the Worlds, we had another reason for being excited. It's that because we were accepted into the Tokyo Metropolitan Police or Keisho, and we trained with them. Why? Because one of our senseis, because Serbia has a program, had a program through JICA. I don't know if you know what JICA is. JICA is like a Japanese UNICEF that helps uh, promote Japanese culture and uh, Japanese culture throughout undeveloped countries or countries who are not inside of any union to help promote anything that is Japanese. Culture, sports, cuisine, whatever. So we had a sensei, uh, Mitsunori Matsumura, who was uh, Nanadan, and he was a reporter in Tokyo. Very respect, very highly respected person. And he had very good connections with the Japanese police. So he, at one point, suggested to us to send like a guinea pig there to stay for a month and train with them to earn their respect and trust. And one of our guys went there. He went through hell <laughs> in 2014. And when he came back, he said, we have an invitation to come a month early next year to train with them. And of course we did. So this was a very, very specific and very, we were very honored to be able to practice with them. And it was a very great experience. So that is the moment where I saw that the way you train is more important how much you train. Because they have three practices a day and each practice is different. And I would see that not everyone will, if we went to all three practices during that day, but I would see that the people were different. So not everybody was training all three practices, especially the guys who were preparing for the Worlds. Like Uchimura, who was there, and Masahiro Shodai, who was in the, in the national team at that time. They weren't in all practices. They were a few practices because they weren't allowing them to, to break themselves they, because those trainings are really hard. So they have like this schedule for them, specific schedule for national team players because they have, aside from those practices, their own practices for the national team. So in Japan, we spent there, it was more for uh, police training rather than the world championships, because by the time we came to the championship, we were dead tired, because our sensei at that time wasn't unfortunately keen on letting us rest as the police intended us to, because they told us like a week before the championship, don't come anymore. 
And he, at that time, for that week, he went and took us to like universities and other trainings and we were dead tired and we were not able to do anything. So next world championships in 2010, we unfortunately, because we didn't have any financial support from any other than the Federation of Kendo Federation. And here the financially, it works like you have a sports association of the Serbia and it gives you a certain amount of money at a different time. So for example, if you are the Serbian national federation, Kendo Federation, and I'm the sports federation. I say, okay, I will give you 500 euros. doesn't matter. But I will give you 200 euros now and I will give you 300 euros later at some point, for example. So at that point, we didn't have so much money and the Federation was only able to help us with buying the tickets and something for the accommodation, like a small part. So the rest was onto us, like the rest of the money. We would get it later. And of course, we didn't have so much money. So we decided to go like maybe a week or eight days before the competition in order to get, you know, accustomed to the weather and the, the time difference, etc. So we didn't have so much time to practice there. Of course, we practiced amongst each other. We went to a dojo because one of our teammates from the girl team was living in, in Seoul, Korea. So she took us to her dojo. It was great. So there at the Worlds, we had the worst school. So we had the worst path. It wasn't even it wasn't even like Japan in the first match. No, it was gradually going worse and worse, harder and harder. So first we had Canada in the pools, which of course is a nation in the top five usually. Then if we exit the pool, we had Brazil, which is again in the top five. And then if we pass them, we have America, which is in the top three. And then if we pass America, then we have Korea, which is in the top two. And then, of course, in the final, we're going to meet Japan. But hey, come on. So we didn't really have any realistic wishes. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't really think that we would be able to do anything. But we all had the same, same thought. And it was like, oh, well, we came here. Let's just give it all we got. See how far we can go. We don't want to back down. We've been to these other competitions. We did a lot of results. So whatever happens, happens. And then happened first Canada. We did... Uh, we did Hikiwake with the team, but we had more points with Greece. So we went outside the pool. So we didn't actually lose to Canada. We went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Canada, but we won because we had more points with Greece. Which, to tell you the truth, I think is more because we knew the Greek team better than the Canadian team. We did with the Greek team a lot more time, a lot of times before, and we always won. And of course, we had the confidence to go in and make more points. And of course, Greek, Greek players are not to be taken lightly. They have a few guys who are very, very tricky, like Kapnidis, who actually created the, who actually won, I think, in their match. Then we went to Brazil. We were just happy that we passed the pool. And with Brazil, we were like, okay, this is Brazil. They're, they're very strong. Let's just give it our best. And then the first guy goes out, 2-0, wins. Okay. The second guy goes out, boom, 2-0. Okay, so I'm the third one. I'm the chicken, I think it's called. I always forget these names. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you can cut this and win, <laughs> or you can lose and or do hikimake to create things either more interesting or worse. And I was very keen to win because at that point, amongst us, I was regarded as the strongest at that point because of my preparation and everything. So I felt like it was my obligation. It was my duty to win. And I won 1-0. I didn't want to risk it to get the second point. I didn't want to run to it. And we won. We were like, wow, we won. 
Brazil 3-0. That was, that was amazing. And the next two guys lost, I think. I can't remember. And then came America. So we were jumping over hills, and now came the Grand Canyon. <laughs> This wasn't possible. These guys were monsters. I mean, trust me, I do a lot of physical exercise for myself. I, I did gymnastics in, in, in my younger days, and I did parkour for, for 10 years, and I did a lot of weights and everything. I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty strong on my feet. I'm pretty stable. When I was in Japan in the police, they couldn't, you know, knock me over. It was fun for them. They thought it was funny. But this guy that I fought up against, it was, it was like moving a truck. I couldn't move him an inch. And his technique was flawless. His, his attitude was horrifying. So this showed us what the next level is and where we need to strive for. So generally, it's no wonder why Japan, Korea, and America are always in the top, top three. Because they have this next level that we saw that we wanted to strive for. And now this, this whole competition, the World Championships, had a great impact on us. I mean, it, it created, it, it gave us this kind of uh, boost, this trampoline that we needed to be more sure of ourselves. Because we were always at the Europeans reaching the fifth place or fourth place. We never could take that medal. And came 2019, we changed the team a lot due to some... Uh, I don't want to say problems, but some misunderstandings and some different opinions. And we had a lot of you guys, young guys who came in. And we again had the same attitude. Let's just give it our best. We had a lot of training together. We had a program because it was created by myself and another guy who we appointed as a coach who is a professional football coach. And he quit his job for a certain period because he, was, he now moved to, I think, Malta or somewhere else where he now works. So he had like this period free. And he said like, okay, guys, 2019 here is, is here. This is the European Championship. It's time to win. So he started to work with us for about around two months. He created this kind of team atmosphere. He created a very good team. And the competition was for us one of the, let's say, hardest competitions that we had at that period because we were scared of the younger guys that they weren't able to keep up, but they did an outstanding job. They left their heart on the field and they left their kendo. Their kendo that they did before was different than from the kendo they did now. They did phenomenally. It was either the, the, the excitement, or the adrenaline or everything, but it went great. And we got to the second place, which was from zero to second. That's, that's awesome. And not only did we get to the second place, we got the sixth match with the French team, which hasn't happened in a long time. So some small country that has around three, 400 practitioners with three new guys in the team got to the finals and went into the sixth match with France. This is a big thing for me. And of course, I'm not satisfied. <laughs> I think we could have taken the first place, taken the crown off the French, but let's not be too hungry. There's always next year, there's always another competition, and it's always the point of going forward. Always changing, always keeping up with what's new, what's going on, and always try for the next competition, either it's Worlds or Europeans. So I'm sure that when you see these younger guys coming up in, in your team, you probably remember a little bit about when you started and when you were being brought up. So what's your view on helping them in some ways become the next you or <laughs> kind of creating that environment and the motivation for another generation to come up and do the same thing that at least help the, the country and your dojo achieve what you've been able to build so far? Yeah, so for example, aside from winning the second place in the senior team, we won even better the first place in junior teams. And uh, the kids who were in this team were three, three from my dojo. 
So both me and my sensei trained them. My sensei was asking me to do a program for them to create like a system. And he would create the exercise within those programs. And I gave him the intensity. I always went to practice with them, you know, to, to beat the shit out of them. <laughs> you can censor this. <laughs> and um, the thing was, tell you the truth, I felt more happy when they won than when we won. Because I felt, I feel that it's important to, to create that, what you said, a new generation. And what I remember when I started, when I was accepted into the senior team, it was different. It was way different. First of all, I was in the junior team and I brought two medals for my European championship as a junior. Third place in individual and second place in uh, teams. And at that point, that was like a really big deal. And my whole generation of uh, actually the three of us were, they expected us to go on. Unfortunately, I'm the only one who stayed in the national team out of the three. The two other guys, they are trying. They are some. One guy stopped practicing for some time because of his work, because he he finished political science, so he got into politics, so he couldn't practice so much. The other guy changed from one stance to another, so he started it all, all over again, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So the only one who was left was me, and I was at that time from from 2014 up until 2019, I was the youngest player always. And I was always at the end of the stick, you know. <laughs> I was always the guy who did double, who did triple, who did more, who did more, because I was the youngest, which didn't, didn't really, I didn't really think it was bad. For me, it's something that it was just like, okay, no problem. And that's why where I am where I am today, because of all these hard trainings that I endured and that I pushed through, I am at where I am. So now I am thankful for these things. But I don't think that's the right way to do it. So what I try to do with the new guys and the younger guys who are coming is to make them feel more comfortable, accepted, and give them this kind of uh, staircase that they can go, go by. Not to tell them like, oh, you, you're, not, you're not there yet. I, I want to tell them, okay, you're not there yet, but you have something that I didn't. And you are better than me when I was your age. You have to understand that. And that is when, when your sensei says, says to you, you're better than me. He, th he's, you, he doesn't think that you're better than him at this moment. He thinks that you're better than he was when he was your age, which is a great success for, for a teacher. Create something that someone is better than you than you were at that time. So now for the Europeans that was supposed to be in, in Norway and the world that was supposed to be in, in Paris, we wanted to take the kids. We wanted to take for the world the, the three juniors that were in the individual and four seniors to give them a chance to give them a, to see the world championships, to see how it looks from the senior side. Because the world championships is a place where right now, uh, except going in the top eight, is not something that we can achieve. I really want to think that we can win third place, but I got to be realistic. With the current situation and everything that we have right now, it's not possible. It is, but it needs more time and more work. So all in all, uh, we wanted to experiment with them and to give them like some ambitions. But this whole COVID situation created a real big gap in the focus and the, how to say it, the, the, nobody is committed anymore to anything. I'm not talking about kendo, I'm talking about anything. So we have people, especially young people, who are demotivated. And one of the reasons why they were motivated so much was because of the competitions. You can't explain to a young mind the virtues of Budo if they are not already in it by their house, how their parents taught them. So the way you have to motivate them is by showing them results, that they can make results. And the best way to show results is a competition. And this year we had no competitions. All the competitions have been postponed or canceled. And it's very difficult to keep these people, these young people in line. 
Fortunately, now they're coming back because, you know, everything is becoming more and more normal here. And the people are starting to, actually, it's not becoming normal. Just people being fed up with all this situation that is going on. And are, are, you know, taking off their masks and going like, whatever, let me get sick. I don't, I don't care anymore. I can't live anymore like this. And people are returning. So definitely, yes, if I were to sum this all up, the whole way to improve not only the national team, but the whole federation is to focus more, more on the younger people, on people who have a future. And we need to show them how to practice well, how to practice good, and how to practice there to be fair to have a good relationship between each other because most of the problems that are happening in federations not only in our but in every federation is the quarrels between clubs and people and that is what drives nations worlds and people from each other the best reason why france is the most dominant in europe is because they have a system that functions and it's a core that creates results and there are people who are not who don't agree with them but there are a few they took the majority if it's good or if it's bad, I don't know. But there is a majority of people and it shows results. So it's good. So yeah, <laughs> that's it. You mentioned earlier that in Serbia, there's a lot of political stuff, bureaucracy that you have to go through. So you have to work hard to get stuff done. I imagine that's something that sculpts the characters in Serbia. But anything else that you find that is within the culture of Serbia that has allowed you guys to both want to do kendo and also do it well? Is, is there something in the Serbian culture that aligns with kendo culture? No, <laughs> no. I like Serbian culture is on a completely different side. It's completely different. But the thing is, we are a hard-headed, stubborn nation. We are people who, if you tell us don't do this, and if we think that it's right to do it, we're going to do it. And you can see it. It's sometimes bad, but it's sometimes good. And you can see it in our, generally in our, sorry, athletes, not only, not only in kendo, but in basketball, water polo, tennis. I mean, look, look, you had the situation with uh, Djokovic, with um, him hitting the ball, the girl, the woman with the ball in the neck, whatever. And he got disqualified. You will hear people saying, oh, he was because he's Serbian, he got banned. Some other people will say, no, he deserved, he's an aggressive player, et cetera, et cetera. What happened, happened. But the thing is, he came back to Rome and he won. He didn't let those things set him back. And that's the same within basketball, where you have our guys who go up against America, which is a monster in basketball. And we create, we won one time back in 90-whatever, and we went to the finals with them again. Then you have water polo. We don't have a sea, <laughs> and we are the best in the world there. Of course, okay, we have rivers and good pools, etc. But when you look at the majority of people that live in Serbia, the people who stick to a certain sport or activity usually are very stubborn and very hard-headed and are very focused on it and are usually able to follow their own way to create their own system and their own virtues to follow in order to succeed, which are, of course, within the perimeter of the rules and boundaries that a certain sport gives you. So in Kendo, I would say that our stubbornness is one of the, the key things that help us because we don't give up. We really don't give up. I mean, the team that I've been with, we've been through a lot of things, not only financially, not only emotionally, but we had quarrels between each other and we've had many problems and et cetera, et cetera. But we were able to pass through those things and put aside our differences for that one moment and we were able to create results. The Serbian nation and the Serbian people are the people who we are not on top of the world because we trip each other. There is a saying in Serbian, like only together we can win. 
it's a bit different. There are different words, but I don't know how to directly translate it. But the thing is, our people usually tend to sabotage each other. And that's why we don't progress in other places. But when a number of people get together who are able to set aside those things and not to trip each other, then you have things like the basketball team, the water polo team, the kendo team, the, the tennis, the whatever. Few hard-headed people who say, no, we don't want to be categorized as people who trip each other. We're going to help each other and we do it and we make results. Yeah, no wonder you guys are strong and I can totally see it in, in your character. And it's good that you had, I guess, a, a good upbringing and a good sensei role model to create a person. And I hope that I'm sure that you as a leader of the next generation will help bring Serbia into even more things. Is there anything that to wrap up this interview that you might want to say to the audience, some kind of message? If there's anything you want to share in terms of where you train or events that you or well, just well, let's say, first of all, I want to thank you for, for this opportunity to share my points of view and my opinions. And I really hope that whoever listens to this understands something better uh, about themselves. Because I think that anything that a sensei or a teacher or, or a trainer can do is not to create you, but show you the way and explain to you how you can become better at what you are doing. So you become the best of yourself. That refers back to the comparison where Christian told me something in a way that I understood, which my sensei was telling me a long time ago. So just another person said it in a, a little bit different way, helped me a lot. So I hope that this will maybe help someone understand things better. Uh, second, I really hope that people don't lose faith and don't lose character because of this whole situation. It's very hard. It's very difficult. A pandemic with the COVID virus has created a gap between people. Physically, it has created a gap. And as much as we like to talk on Zoom and, you know, internet, we know that our emotions and our relationships are usually based on physical contact and physical communication. So we, it, this would be a much more interesting if you were sitting now beside me. Of course, okay, now you're in Canada, I was Serbia, but if you were for Serbia or I was in Canada, it would much be more pleasant and more specific and emotional if you were here. So not to let this bring people down. It's very difficult, but endure. Just like we've endured many things, just like the Serbian Federation endured many falls and the Serbian national team, so many losses. There is always a good end if you're hard-headed, if you're sure what you want and if you keep your path. And uh, the last thing, well, as I said, I train in Serbia. Everybody is always welcome to come to Makoto Kendo Dojo in Belgrade. We, as I said, organize each year. This year, unfortunately, because of the situation, there will be no competition. So there is officially, this is, I haven't officially typed on Facebook in the events that we won't have. So this is the first official statement that there will not be, unfortunately, this year Makoto Kendo Trophy. But next year, I hope there will be. And I hope that Canadian Kendo players listen to this and that they feel motivated to come. It's a very strong competition filled with many good people, a good atmosphere, and most of all, a good relationship between the, the fighters. So it's always great to see the French, the, the Germans, the Italians, everybody together talking and laughing and having a good time. So anytime anyone wants to come to Belgrade, they know how to find me. Just type in Makoto Kendo Club and you can come. Thank you so much, Andre. That's a great way You're to welcome. wrap this up. Thank you so much for that. And have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Talk to you again. Yeah. Here for you. Bye. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode because we have a lot more exciting conversations to share as we explore the world of the traditional Japanese martial arts. The Inside Look podcast is available on most common podcasting platforms and on YouTube. Remember to subscribe to not miss out on new interviews as they are posted. 
We're always looking for feedback to improve, so please write us a review or drop us a line at podcast.tokushikai.ca or on Facebook and Instagram at tokushikai.canada. Until next time, thanks for listening. 